0: Hey, this is Frank Yosa, CEO of two companies, Ketone Aid. We make the ketone ester that has been seen multiple times in the Tour de France and Tour de Giro, and also a separate company called Hard Ketones, and we'll talk about that alcohol alternative drink. And the way I got into it real quick is my godfather, my wife's godfather was Dr. Richard Veach, who's featured in this book here, Ketones, the Fourth Fuel, if you really want to take a deep dive into his 40-year uh history getting to the point of being able to invent a ketone ester.
1: Cool. Well, let's, let's jump right in. Um, so there's three types of ketones, right? Uh, well, right before we jump in, so this, the, the okay. ketone
0: ester is very commonly known in the cycling world. They've known about it for seven, eight years. And now we do, uh, supply 70% of the world tour teams that are in the tour de France. So it's right now it's, it's pretty much the the gold standard, the standard, over there. But it's funny how in the running world, there's barely anyone that knows about it. So I'm really glad that we can do this podcast to kind of bring it over to not only bring it over to America, because that's mostly European stuff, but also talk in terms of, you know, running and and other other sports.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because, um, like, I feel like there's a few runners, like ultra runners specifically, like Zach Bitter and Jeff Browning that will experiment with diet and different protocols and supplements and things. Whereas, a lot of other runners just kind of like follow the standard, like, okay, high carb, whatever, 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 eat as, mu- as much bread and whatever as possible and then suffer the consequences. And like, they don't ever really want to try new things. It's kind of interesting how cyclists are like, well, this gives me like a 0.5% increase in whatever I'm going to do it. Or if it increases my wattage by, by two, it's worth it. So it's, it's cool that they do that. And they're more open to experimenting and trying new stuff.
0: They're like the formula one race cars. They're always trying out the the latest and greatest stuff so uh yeah yeah let's let's go into it so you want to talk about the three different types of ketones that the body can make naturally okay. so when the body is fasted of carbs so either no food at all or a ketogenic diet for multiple days the body will start to burn its own fat reserves into ketones so technically there's three different types of ketones so d-beta hydroxybutyrate is the one that's most known then there's acetoacetate And then there's acetone. Acetone is just nail polish remover, so no one's consuming that. And acetoacetate, there is one molecule that has been done in some research with acetoacetate bound to 1,3-butanediol, which we will get into later. But for the most part, everything that's on the market is, the goal is to get your D-beta hydroxybutyrate numbers up, get your blood ketones up. And we are going to talk about, hopefully, how you can't just look at a snapshot of blood ketones and you can look at blood ketones to get a general idea that things are going up or down comparing different products but we will talk about how it's not the end all there's much more to it much more going on behind the scenes than just bhb blood levels
1: yeah it's interesting you mentioned that because i think a lot of people try to be like oh this promotes or enhances the number of ketones in your blood but it's like your body still needs to be able to suck those ketones in to use them because if they're just circulating in your blood it's like what's the point? It's like having gasoline on the outside of your car, right?
0: Right. Yeah. So the, the ketones in the blood don't do anything in the blood. They don't make them redder. They don't make them thinner. They don't do anything to them. It's once they leave the blood that they start to work. So one company, you know, somehow tried to take the gold standard ketone Extra and say, Hey, the peak is too high. It goes too high. And then it crashes down. And they're saying, Oh, ours is a slow release and, and smoother. It's just ridiculous. First of all, if you want slow release, just dilute it and drink it with water, you can have whatever slow release you want. But um, the total area under the curb is is one thing to look at. But the peak is important as well, because you need it to get into the body into the brain into the cells. So to say that there's some therapeutic zone where the peak doesn't matter. And you know, their product is 40% lower in DBHB levels, and somehow they can spin that as being a benefit is just, you know, ridiculous. But yeah it, it, it's it's when it leaves the blood. So I heard on one podca- podcast, actually Rhonda Patrick she said, well, I like the ketone ester, but you know spikes and then it crashes and then I I have to you know go to sleep and what's happening is she's taking way too much. She probably took four to five times what I would recommend that she takes. So she is getting an energy spike and a crash. But then also she, she's looking at these charts in the science that skyrocket and tank and think that that's what is happening to her energy, but it's no, it's just because she took you know way too much. So once it leaves the blood, it can stay in your system for four, five, six hours. And if it's building mitochondria, you know, that's you know a multi-day benefit.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about mitochondria then in the Krebs cycle, because I I don't know much about that, to be honest. Like I've I've heard it a bunch mentioned on podcasts and done a little bit of research. But let's talk about mitochondria then and, and how all that relates.
0: Well, so I'm not a doctor and not a scientist. So that's where, you know, I have some limitations in that world, but The the scientists are constantly talking about how the ketone ester helps build the mitochondria. So, some people are looking at using the ketone ester for the race. But if you actually preload the ketone ester the week beforehand, it builds up mitochondria reserves so that when you're in race day, you're going to be blowing it. You know, blowing it to smith smithereens. I also understand that the there's more mitochondria in slow twitch muscles, and there's none in fast twitch muscles. So that's also part of the reason why the ketones aren't preferred for sprinting. But if you're on a you know an uphill run, you'll see a huge difference than if you're doing like a downhill, downhill sprint because you have more mitochondria in the slow twitch muscles. So there's different uh different ways that the, the ketone ester can help, but it can also be a detriment. If the ketone ester lowers your blood sugar too much, then that can be a negative. But we have found that Uh, some runners are able to use just the ketone ester no other fuels and be in the 60s in the mid 60s in their blood sugar and still not be bonking so you can still be much lower but if you get too low there's a certain point where you know you'll just bonk and we've had people drop out of races because they took too much of the ester or they didn't follow the right protocol and they just felt like their legs were 70 80 pounds heavier than usual and And they had to drop out. So when this works, it really works. But when it doesn't work, it can really mess you up. So you don't want to be doing this on on game day.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because from all the research I've been doing the past few weeks, it seems like a lot of people take it and it's kind of mixed results versus just like experimenting and playing with it. But I've also read that it can just drop your blood sugar massively. So like if for some reason, like say like Rhonda Patrick, you take a whole bunch of it and suddenly your blood sugar just drops like crazy, like, yeah, you probably are going to feel sluggish, right?
0: Yeah, and and actually hungry, too. So some people use it as a meal suppressant. But if you take just a little bit too much, then your blood sugar drops too much, which makes you hungry. So then they're like, okay. oh, the ketone ester didn't work to curb my hunger. I was like, well, how much did you take? Well, they took, you know, 5 or 10 mLs of our drink, which is 50% water, 50% ester. So, well, great news. Cut that number in half, try again. And then they report back, oh, wow, it worked. Because so so every every person is going to be different level of sensitivity. And there was even one person, so Rhonda was taking, I think the equivalent of like 50 mLs of our KE4, whereas this one nurse, she normally would take just 10 mLs. So two capfuls, the cap became the measuring tool because it was so potent, just five mLs per capful. She t- was taking either one or two. Normally she'd go straight to a workout and use the energy, but somehow her son missed the school bus. So she had to drive him to school instead of going to the gym. And then she noticed in the car she's like wait my blood sugar is really crashing what's going on here and she was able to take her blood and it was really really low because she wasn't using the energy so everyone's body is going to respond differently so it takes it takes several times to get it to get it uh to get a protocol worked out for you and i've had some mma fighters that you know literally five times it wasn't quite working and then i get a call i'm in the grocery store and he's like frank you told me that, you know it would take a while and oh my god today was crazy and he talked about how he was flattening all of his sparring partners out and pulling out moves that he hadn't used in like 15 years since high school, just pulling them out. Cause just the brain is just sharper retrieving things. And he said, everyone on the sidelines was like, what is he on today? Like what in the world is going on? So he finally found that, you know, perfect combination that worked for him, but it took him five times. So it's really hard for me when I have a professional runner that's like, okay, you know, reluctant, give it to me. And they're like, how do I take it? They just want to give it one shot. They want to chug some and go for a run, and they're like, "Didn't do anything." Like, well, it's it's just more complicated than that. And you're taking this super deep dive, and we've had some conversations on how you know, even looking at blood BHB numbers, numbers isn't necessarily you know accurate. There's ingredients that I could add that I don't to the drink that can block the transporters, block the ability of the ketones to get out of the blood and where they need to go. And what does that do? What would that do? It would make your blood blood ketone numbers actually look higher actually look like oh wow there's more ketones no it's just not getting out of the system and the opposite is true I could put in ingredients that might help shuttle it out of the system faster but then your blood BHB numbers are going to look lower and when a company does a side-by-side test it'll be like oh look you know these are lower and it's just it just doesn't tell the full full picture
1: yeah, it's interesting like thinking about blood sugar because another show I do with Mike McKnight uh, we did um we had level CGM monitors for for a month I'm trying to remember how long it was for it was for a while. And um it was interesting to see like how like one, just like any sort of activity can kind of lower your blood sugar, but then also like your blood sugar spikes in the morning sometimes and what they are fasted versus like having say a gel during a, a run. And, like I, I ran a marathon with my CGM on it was really fascinating. And it's just really interesting to see how how complex the body is. And it's not just like, okay, I took this supplement and suddenly I'm I'm gonna win a race or something. It's like, no, like it's a lot of variables that go into stuff.
0: And, and soon there'll be a continuous ketone monitor. There's a couple of companies coming out with, with them. One is
1: a Kickstarter.
0: I wouldn't vouch for them because there's no name, no person behind it, no one that you can contact. So I don't know how real it is. I ordered it, but I wouldn't recommend it necessarily until they're out. Um, but then Abbott also made an announcement that they're doing a continuous ketone monitor. And yeah, we'll be able to see real time the blood glucose and blood ketones and Do we need to re-up it with 5 mls? Do we need to re-up it it with 50 mls? When? You know, here's some hill workouts. You know, are the ketones going down more? It'll be really great to really uh, be more precise in how you use them.
1: Yeah, it's going to be really interesting once that comes out, like all the science and data that we can gather from that. And and like you were just saying, like fine-tune your product and for people just like fine-tune their health, I guess, and performance.
0: So, you know, with different protocols we have a website that details different protocols if you're trying to use it for longevity for brain fog for pre workout during workout post workout but high level for the the workouts themselves we have you know two distinct different ways to do it one is on a fasted uh you know so no breakfast beforehand and no food during the race and just using ketones so and the idea there is to trigger endogenous production and to make you not feel hungry. So the the mental, the psychology behind not the psychology behind feeling hungry is important. If you start a race and your tummy goes grumble, grumble, you're like, you're distracted. Oh, I'm not going to have fuel. Even though the grumbling is actually an indicator of, Hey, we're about to, if you don't give me food, we're going to start burning your fat and making ketones. It's like, all right, go ahead. Like, so you can interpret that as great. This is a good sign because my stomach is empty or you can freak out. So the ketone ester might just be helping suppress that hunger and allowing you to burn your own fat because we had this one uh, professional cycling team. I think it was the Continental, so one level below World Tour, and they followed this protocol for five or seven days during training camps where they just they had no breakfast and they just took 10 mLs, so two capfuls of our ketone ester every hour. They bumped it up the last two hours, which I Talk to him about you might not need to, because if it's a signal and not a calorie, then you might not need to bump it up. But they were able to go five to seven days, five hours of riding per day with just 10 mls of ketone ester only per hour. And then he was he was floored. He's like, they're producing the same numbers as their baseline. Well, you might say, oh, well, who cares if they're doing baseline? Why not just also use sugar? But the sugar is so damaging with all the um inflammation and lactic acid uh, that they can h- simulate the benefits of the fasted workouts and being able to do the next day, another hard workout, another hard workout. And, and their entire week's performance stays flat as opposed to getting worse and worse, like you would on a stage race. And he was floored. And I said, yeah, you probably looked at the calories and said, how is this possible that uh, 24 calories per hour, you know, what's going on? It's like the only logical you know, explanation is that there were, triggering fat burning or they would have done fat burning anyhow but then this just gave them a little bit more ketones so just like a glucose based person wouldn't say oh i'm not going to add glucose to my meal because you know my body already makes glucose it's exactly like that but a ketogenic person or a fasted rider they're making ketones sure but if you can add on top of that and just you know help get them back to baseline cuz normally fasted rides will be 5 or 10% lower watts you add the ketone ester and people are finding that they're you know, going back to their baseline and not being sore the next day. So it's you know, much better for recovery and you know, also great for those people who are also at altitude. So it works you know, better at altitude as well.
1: Yeah. Let's um, in a minute talk about altitude because I find that really interesting too, but let's talk about endogenous versus exogenous ketones, because I think most people kind of have heard of, of ketogenic diet, now your body can run off of ketones versus glucose and obviously there's uh, a lot we can go into there, but um, reading about like MCT oils and different types of foods that can help, I don't know, essentially help your body to create more ketones, Mm -hmm. it's not the same as adding an exogenous. So can you kind of go through like your body's production of ketones versus supplementing with an ester?
0: Sure. And I would also consider MCT oil, specifically the C8, as an exogenous ketone. So I'll explain that as well. So when the body's um, out of carbs, it's kind of like a battery. You've got a battery of carbohydrates, glucose. And once that battery goes to zero, which can take, you know, two days of no eating or seven to 10 days on a ketogenic diet. Once that battery goes to zero, then it goes into your fat reserves and starts burning fat to make ketones. Now, when you drink ketones separately, some people will say, Oh, you're in ketosis when you drink this drink. And that's just confusing because the consumer, they hear that and they think that it's actually making their body burn fat to make ketones, but that's not what it's, that's not what it's doing. Um, so the word ketosis and ketogenesis are very similar, but the consumers only are aware of the word ketosis, which might mean ketones in your blood. But when they hear drink this drink in 10 minutes, you're in ketosis, they're thinking that they're burning fat. So it doesn't. these drinks don't do that. And for weight loss, we actually have a, a chart of all of our products and then it has weight loss as one of the lines and just red X all the way across it. Say if my wife wife hasn't been able to lose weight on it, why do you think you can? Like it's just not something. Um so um, so where were we with that? I kind of got this.
1: Um I guess the question would be like, are I guess what are the advantages of eating um, foods that promote um ketosis or a ketogenic state? Right. Versus so, yeah, just the, taking the exogenous ketones.
0: Right. So the ketogenic diet is about uh eating 80% fat. protein, 5% carbs. So there's a whole bunch of oil in that equation. So olive oil, regular coconut oil, you know, other oils, um, avocados. But when you, there's one molecule, which is called C8. It's a particular type of coconut oil that is so small, the C8, the number eight, as opposed to C14, which is a longer chain coconut, which is the hard, large stuff, the lower the chain, it actually 15% of it goes to the liver and makes ketones. So makes beta hydroxybutyrate. So that means you can have a bowl of rice and be eating C8 and your blood ketones will go up. So that's ex- that's still exogenously consumed. Now, I like to say that C8 is almost, it's almost half and half. It's half exogenous because 15% of it you know, makes ketones. But then the other half just counts towards your oil macros and for you to get in calories that are not Carbohydrates, so endogenous. Yeah, you have to you have to eat a certain way to make ketones. But with endogenous, you've got two things going on: you're lowering your blood sugar significantly, uh, or your sugar consumption, and then the ketones are going up. With exogenous ketosis or ketones, your blood sugar doesn't doesn't really matter where it is. It could be super high or, or super low. You're just adding the ketones into the system, so you're you're skipping uh, the depletion of glucose. And you're skipping the fat burning to just deliver ketones in your blood so exogenous ketones will do many of the things that endogenous the ketogenic diet will do but not necessarily all of the things so i like to say half of the equation is lowering your sugar content and the other half of the equation is raising your ketones well you can do that with a ketogenic diet lowering your sugar raising the ketones well if you have brain fog and you still eat at mcdonald's or eat crap food And you just raise your ketones, yeah, you probably will notice some improvement, but not as much of an improvement if you also lowered the sugar half of the equation, but not necessarily full keto. So we don't necessarily recommend that people go full keto to use the ketone ester, but if they can just do half of that equation and lower their blood sugar or lower their sugar consumption and carbohydrate consumption, so no high glycemic foods. I like to say the five deadly sins, fruit, rice, bread, pasta, and fruit. And I say fruit twice because everyone wants to do everything except for fruit. But you know, fruit's nature's candy nowadays is super sweet. And if you can wear a continuous glucose monitor and eat some fruit and it doesn't spike your blood glucose, okay, great. Then it then it qualifies. But otherwise, you know, your body's gonna see it as fruit, even though it has some fiber, it's gonna see it like a like a candy bar. So um, so within you know, with running running as a ketogenic athlete we're not, we don't necessarily recommend that there's some people that swear by it um they find that they're just less sore so they can have more workouts the next day and but it can take three to six months to be what's called fat adapted which isn't necessarily the same exact thing as ketogenic diet but they've trained their body to be able to burn fat more efficiently and you have just this endless reserve of energy in your body and glucose I was saying earlier it's inflammatory it just Every molecule, of, I don't know about every molecule, but glucose holds on to molecules of water. The more glucose in your system, the more water you have, the more inflamed you are. You get rid of the glucose, water comes out and, you know, this might make people urinate more. Um, but it helps with inflammation. Just even touching your toes, you'll be more easy and more able to do that. So you have this en- endless energy source um, as opposed to taking sugar every hour in panic mode. And once you run out of sugar, you're not able to convert. Some people, most people aren't able to just switch over to fat when they run out of sugar. So then they they bonk. So they're constantly trying to, you know, tailor how much sugar that they need so that they don't, you know, bonk in the end. Um, but then the sugar also creates lactic acid. So imagine doing an entire run where there's no lactic acid. And how would that change your performance? Like lactic acid, I, I ran half mile in college. The last 150 yards is just, you know, bricks on, on your legs to not have that, you know, it just changes, changes everything.
1: Yeah. It is pretty impressive. Like what you can do when you're not essentially just damaging your, obviously like exercise creates some sort of damage to your muscles, but if you can minimize that and recover faster, as far as like performance goes, you're able to go back harder and do more workouts, which in theory can just make you faster and stronger. So it's, it's pretty interesting.
0: We can go quickly into a clinical trial where they simulated the Tour de France And they used ketone monoester, no other molecule, because other companies will say, oh, look, and they'll point to the study of these athletes going 15% faster, but they're using a different molecule. So you cannot make the same assumptions. It's 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 called science hijacking. Uh, It's really kind of frustrating. But um, they took uh, 15, I think, a simulated 15-day tour de France cycling four to five hours a day. There was the ketone ester group, and then there was the placebo group. And the ketone ester group was able to do 15% more workload throughout the time. And then the time trial at the end was 15% faster with the ketone ester group. So just massive levels of recovery. Now, for full disclaimer, they used huge quantities. So just on like one bottle, approximately a little bit less than one bottle of these after every ride and one bottle immediately before bed. So these huge quantities. Um it'll take a few more years to really determine, hey, did they need the full bottle could they've done half a bottle could they have done a quarter of a bottle and different people find what you know what works for them and what's the best bang for the buck but I did do a podcast with an athlete who's on the continental level of, of pro cycling and his father called me out freaking out because he'd done so well in the race he wanted to see all the wada testing he's like, you know do you have anything illegal in here because he did so well and he was he got on the podcast and showed me his data that normally on a five day race, he would be what five, three to five, three to 7% lower Watts every day, because you're just more and more tired from five hours of cycling. But his Watts were just flat and just the same. And he was just blown away. He's like, I've never seen this before, but the point is he was taking one fifth of the amount of what the clinical trial was saying. It was, was needed after his race, after, you know, each stage. And then before bed, he was taking one tenth the amount that the clinical trial was saying. So you might not need to use those those huge quantities if money's no object. Yeah, sure, go ahead and you know it won't mess up your. I don't think it'll mess up your next day race if you take too much, but it will mess up your race if you take too much before the race or during the race.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's a recovery.
0: That's a recovery. You know, Uh uh, some recovery data there.
1: That's interesting. You mentioned like like that study talking about like simulating the Tour de France because I don't know how much you know about trail running, but there's like stage races that are self-supported, so you have to carry your entire say like weeks worth of food for five, six, seven days, and so everyone's always looking to cut weight. Like, how can I cut weight? How can I recover faster? So that because you have to bring your own food, so you're like kind of limited on your calories every day because you don't want to bring like eight thousand calories a day because the weight is just massive. So people, a lot of people lose a lot of weight. But... You'd
0: have to do some. You'd have to do some math and see whether you have enough fat reserves for that entire five seven days. But I do not think it's impossible to slowly sip on ketone ester those entire five seven days. Like that's why how this entire ketone ester was developed was through Dr. Richard Veach and his assistant Dr. Clark. Um, they went to DARPA, and DARPA was looking for a more efficient fuel source because the military they were they're taking out all of the half of the food that they are rationed for the week of assignment and putting in more uh, ammunition. Cause they like, you know, what matters is firepower, but then there was friendly fire. They were accidentally shooting each other cause they were malnourished and didn't have, you know, sharp brains. They had the ammo, but they didn't have the food. So they wanted a more efficient fuel source. And that's what ketone ester will do. It allow you to mimic multiple days of fasting while still being mentally sharp. You just have to do the math. And if you don't have enough fat reserves cause you're, you know, your body fat's too, too low and you do the math that in seven days you would just melt, you know, th- then maybe it won't work, but I wouldn't be surprised. I-, I wouldn't be surprised if there was actually a strategy to gain weight before the race and literally just be carrying, you know, carrying the fat reserves for your perfect five, seven day race to do the entire thing on ketones. It's possible. And, and Anthony Kunkel did a 50 miler just on ketone ester.
1: Yeah. And I, so, I I know Anthony, I don't know him well, but we've met a couple times and he's not like he has like a massive, at least looking at him, like he's lean, he doesn't have, he oh, doesn't yeah, have yeah. gut or anything. Like he's a no, lean no. dude. So yeah. I think that's just kind of like N equals one case in point that you can do longer distances at an elite level. On yeah. how, how many
0: miles is that? Is that five, seven day race? Is that like,
1: there's rare? a whole bunch of different ones. There's one in um, Marathon de Saab, which is pretty big. I'm not sure the mileage on it, but it's just in um, Morocco or wherever in the desert. Uh, there's one here in Utah. Uh, I guess I'm in Arizona right now, but Arizona, Utah area. That's um, 180 miles. Yeah. Um, but then also, like just recently, there's the Cocodona 250 in Arizona, which goes from this town called Black Canyon and goes to Flagstaff, and it takes two-ish days, two and a half days to do it, like for the winning times. And this is interesting think, because oh, go ahead.
0: I, I think it's possible. Yeah, you know, yeah. you can come back to this in, in two or three years, and there'll be some rider, you know, someone who's someone who's done it you know, with no food and just ketone ester, or maybe even not even ketone ester. Maybe you can make enough, but adding the extra ketones just supplements what your body's, you know, able to make. But some might argue, hey, you could do it just on fat burning, um, but we just don't know whether your body can keep up. That's the difference. Whether your body can keep up and burn enough fat to meet your calorie demands so it doesn't start going into, you know, eating up muscle, for example. You don't want to do that. So if you can find this happy balance of feeding the body sufficiently, yeah, I think you can. It's possible to do one of those super long runs with just ketones.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious if someone would do that. Like, I'm I'm thinking about signing up for next year, so maybe I'll do some training days where using simply ketones and see how how well that goes.
0: But you have to make sure that you are fat adapted, though. So if you're not fat adapted and you're just, you're a carb based person and you straight into the 250, you know, I don't think that would work. I think your body has to be really well-trained, you know, to use fat.
1: Yeah. And thinking about that. So there's a a pretty popular running coach. um, His name is Jason Coop. He's a scientist, coach, whatever. I don't know his exact like degree that he has, but he's very much an advocate for like high carb diet, especially when it comes to running and ultra running. But even he has admitted that um, all ultra athletes at some point are burning fat as fuel. Is like just a lot of the intensity in these longer events is it's you're not running like 4:30 pace like right. you would like say in a marathon or something you're yeah. a lot slower the intensity is lower and you're going for so much longer and so even though he's like yeah carbs 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 he's also realizing or he admits I guess you could say that everyone's using some sort of fat burning to to power their day right
0: right so let's go into that a little bit of a nuance with that so there's the aerobic anaerobic threshold one is more glucose based and one is more fat based. And what we think is happening with the ketone ester, and we'd like to do a clinical trial to prove this, is that it's actually lowering your heart rate. So allowing you to, to do the same watts with a lower heart rate, which then gives you wiggle room to actually raise your heart rate a little bit more and stay in fat burning more. So someone who's trying to stay in fat burning mode might be limited to, I don't know the watt, I don't know the the heart rate, let's say, you know, 150, you know, what? Let's say 150 is a threshold. If you can do the same watts and go down to 140, well, now you can raise your, you know, heart rate back up to 150 and increase your your watts, your output speed, while staying in fat burning mode. So that's I think what the I'm hoping that that's what the the team that was just using ketone ester for five days that's what they're experiencing was this lower heart rate and they're just in the steady state. You know, not using glucose, but they can just be. little bit they can move the needle up a few percentage points and just maintain the slightly faster pace and i think that's where the gains are but but all these clinical trials they they like to give a huge amount of ketone ester and a huge amount of glucose and then they say okay now go do a 30 minute time trial which is all glucose based it's like well that's not really how it works um so many of them are showing you it doesn't work and many you know some athletes or coaches are are giving up on the ketone ester and say, Oh, the, the science is inconclusive. Well, anybody who reads these review papers and just looks high level, they're really missing, you know, some of these nuggets and they're going to be left behind because they're not understanding these nuances, which, you know, we're kind of getting into the podcast here. If you can do the exact same workout at, you know, seven beats per minute, lower heart rate, that changes everything. Uh, We just need to now, prove that if we have some n of ones oh well this person had a little bit too much caffeine or this person didn't sleep as well and you know too many variables so we have to really get that fleshed out but we have a message board with three thousand members um that are using ketone ester and frequently you said hey i've raced this race multiple times here's my heart rate data it's seven percent lower and another people chiming in and be like yeah me too you know scratching their chin but it, it makes sense because the heart is just significantly more efficient with ketones, which is why it helps at altitude and which is why the military did some studies on hypoxia and the studies that we've done on hypoxia, it just shows a shift. I don't know how many yards, maybe 500 yards. Um, It's as if you're 500 yards lower in altitude than you actually are. The body's just more efficient with ketones. But so we have to change the clinical trials to be really looking at these nuanced, nuances as opposed to just be like, it sounds sexy to say it's glycogen sparing. Well, it also blocks glycogen. That doesn't sound too sexy. Like too much ketones will actually block your body's ability to use glucose. Well, that's not good. So some Tour de France riders, they stopped taking it during the race. And I said, let me tell you why you felt your top speed was blocked. And they go, Oh, yeah, how'd you know that? I'm like, yeah, because I talked to, you know, 20 Tour de France riders and they all say the same thing. But for them, they were just taking too much. They thought more is better, so they're taking the entire bottle. And they're like, "Hey, I go into the sprint, and I just feel flat." It's like you need to you need to cut it back, or you know, change the fueling around. Go from fast carbs, maybe some slow carbohydrates. You know, change it around. But um, yeah, but some companies their protocols are just drastically different. They say if it doesn't work, take twice as much, and you know, I I just haven't found that to be successful.
1: It's interesting what you're saying about these studies because it, it reminds me of like when people will do, say, like a, a low carb study. So they're like, we're doing a ketogenic study and how it affects athletic performance. And then you look at the numbers because you maybe you look at the headline and it's like ketogenic diets do not improve XX and X. Then you look at what they meant by a ketogenic diet and it's not even anywhere near the numbers you need. So essentially, you're just kind of in this kind of no man's land of carbs and and fat. It doesn't really yeah. make any sense. And so like if you're doing the same thing with like exogenous ketones and you're not doing it properly. Like, yeah, you're not going to have proper results. And then people to see it, they read the headline or the abstract, and then that's it. They don't read the entire yep. study or look at the numbers. And
0: Yeah. I've seen one that said, you know, a ketogenic like study did, you know, showed X, Y, Z ketogenic light. You're either making ketones or you're not. <laughs> yeah. And this, this, this thing exactly was that they were just not making ketones. So they did half of the equation lowering the sugar, but they didn't do the other half of the equation, which is raising the ketones. So they only had half of the equation. And sure enough, you know, the, the outcome was worse. Um, But but it's very difficult for these clinical trials because they like to test one thing. So there's one clinical trial uh, that's not for sport. And the debate is, well, we want to just check, we want to test just this one variable, but this person that they're trying to simulate his experience, it's five different things that make it work. And he claims, Hey, if you just do one, it's just not going to work. But, you know, the clinical trial world, they want to, they want to do one thing but our body has a harmony like it just has multiple variables things are going up and down and and you can't just it's not like medicine it's not like just a pill you pop and you say hey did it did it treat this exact thing we're going like deeper into the mitochondria into the cells and just fixing things from the root problem on up but then other things can you know be triggered uh we mentioned previously that acetoacetate there's like a different type of ketone ester which is acetoacetate bound to r13 butane dial but one theory is that it actually might go in the opposite direction of the krebs cycle so it might be good for certain conditions and needs but it's just it just drastically changes everything um it might be good for treating people that are have deep sea diving you know diseases or need to you know increase your your breath hold you know maybe that ester will work you know, one thing we didn't talk about, we t- kind of talk about exogenous ketones, but we didn't talk about the different types. If I can run through that real fast. Yep. We have the C8, which is a type of exogenous ketone because 15% of it makes ketones. They call it the disaster ban- pants diet because if you drink too much of it, you'll just have diarrhea. But I do know people that have built a tolerance to it over two months and they were able to take 15 tablespoons of C8 and get their ketones really high and really inexpensively. But it just, again, we'll talk about this maybe later. It just doesn't, it's not the same thing. Even if you can get two millimolars on different molecules, different things are going on. And I did do a pod or an interview with Dr. Veach and he talks about C8 and how even though the blood ketones go up, that's not the end of the story because there's other things going on such as the NAD, NADPH ratio. And if you mess up those ratios, then the DBHB isn't fully utilized. There's too much. Uh, You saw the, you saw that, uh, I think it was a two, three minute explanation, which if I was to get a scientist to explain it to me, it'd be like another two hours. Um, but so there's a C8, but then there's something called a ketone salt, which are most common on, on, you know, Amazon and stuff. And most of them are also what's called racemic. So only half of them are bioavailable. Um, but that is beta hydroxybutyrate bound to a salt, a mineral sodium potassium magnesium sometimes they say sodium free but then they load up the magnesium or they load up the potassium once i saw one that had enough potassium that was 45 times higher than the california recommended amount of potassium that you have to put like a a warning label if you're over 99 and this was like four thousand it was just ridiculous I, i wrote to the guy i'm like you're gonna seriously hurt someone and this email will be evidence of that like what are you doing but they wanted it to be sodium free um so then the racemic means that only half of the ketones in these ketone salts are bioavailable. So yeah, the D form and the L form kind of like, you know, two pairs of gloves, um, but the body can only use one side and that's the D form for this. You might've seen other supplements like D ribose or L tryptophan, where you've seen those D or L's beforehand. That's saying that the L might be bioavailable for tryptophan. Um, but for the ketones it's the D form. So, But the racemic products are much cheaper to make in China. They make hundreds of tons uh, a week, if not a month, of these racemic things. And so if you see on the bottle, it says 10 grams of ketones. Well, first of all, 20% of that is the salt. They're counting the salt, so it's really eight. And then of that eight, there's only half of it is bioavailable. So this goes down to four. And then of those four, Dr. Beach was explaining that the the L-form actually blocks the transporter's of the D to get to where it needs to go. So it doesn't raise blood ketones even half as much. I don't know if that's the exact number. It doesn't raise ketones nearly as much as the ketone ester on a, even on a gram per gram basis after making this adjustment from 10 to eight to four, and then, you know, four down to three. So you're comparing 10 grams of ketone salt, to three grams of, you know, ketone ester, and it's still not the same thing. Um, because people have, you know, uh, reported that they've used ketone salts for many years and then they use the ketone ester and suddenly they felt their brain turn on. So it's not the same thing. You can't just take more of it. I got one post in the message board saying, Hey, what about this ketone salt? It's only you can get 13 grams of it for $1. And I started doing the math. I said, anything over 200 milligrams of sodium, you're going to have disaster pants based on the numbers that you gave there. You have to give, you have to do 2000. So 10 times what would normally give you disaster pants just, you know, just doesn't work. Um, and also the salt itself, the excess salt load might, you know, inhibit the ketones uh, as well. So that's the ketone salt. You can get the non-racemic, which would be better, but still, you still have many of those uh, same problems. And a lot of companies will put in caffeine. They want you to quote unquote, feel it, feel the ketones, but no, what you're feeling is the caffeine and the caffeine is increasing. The, The ketones are increasing the caffeine delivery. So that 80 milligrams that you see on the side is more like 160 but it's not like buying a cup of coffee and getting a second cup for free without the side effects. It's going to stimulate you twice as much, but then you're going to have twice the crash later on. That's the ketone salts. The ketone ester, the solution was D-beta-hydroxybutyrate bound to R13-butanediol. But it's really important that bound to part, the ester part, because some companies, they said, oh, let's save some money. It costs 80% less to just pour DBHB-free acid in with R13 and just call it a day it doesn't work the same way. Like the ester bond is what helps get it into the bloodstream and drug companies, they turn molecules into ester forms to help enter into the bloodstream and perhaps also enter into the brain and into the cells in a way that we can't detect on a on a ketone meter, on a ketone blood meter. Um, so that's the ketone ester. And then there's another molecule called R13-butanediol, which is uh, part of the ketone ester. And uh, so when you consume the ketone ester, two molecules it gets into your bloodstream and then it separates with enzymes and you have instant release beta hydroxybutyrate so f- the fast release but then you have the R13 butanediol that goes through the liver and creates at an 80% rate more ketones um but then I asked Dr. Beach 5 years ago well why not just give 25% more of the R13 like it costs a fraction as much as the ester and all this pain in the neck um synthesis to make you know the ketone ester and his answer was epic he said the mice were stumbling the mice were drunk it's like you can't you you can't use that molecule by itself for therapeutic purposes and he just completely discarded it well now five years later we actually i I thought that that was a good idea so i thought i'd run off and file a patent on that because i think some people might want that a ethanol free alcohol-like alternative and that's where the that hard ketones company comes in as an alcohol alternative that gives you a buzz, but without the, the typical ethanol based alcohol, but some companies out there, you know, uh, they used to have the ketone ester. They lost the license to it. They got millions of dollars of government contracts for the ketone ester, but then they, you know, scrambling because they lost the license for it. So then they picked up r 13 three beaten down. They're like, here's a great brain fuel, but without disclosing that it, you know, it's intoxicating. And I think it's just ridiculous that, you know, they try to recommend like this is what you want to take if you're studying for the LSAT or you're taking final exams. It's like, no, you're gonna have people that are are, are buzzing in, in not a good way. Um, so yeah, the R13 buttandol is still in the category of a of a exogenous ketone, but it just does something different and it will raise your blood ketones, but it'll make you more uh it's more of a relaxing. Type drink as opposed to a ninja focus get out there and, and be motivated sensation with the ketone ester, even though you know they're the ketone levels on a program basis are 40% lower with R13 by itself versus the ester. But someone might say, Oh, will just take twice as much and just get to the same BHB levels, but it just doesn't do the same thing. And time will tell. It's good that, that company's spending you know millions and millions of dollars on venture capital money. To advertise and bring people into the marketplace but once they figure out that the gold standard really is the ketone usher they come over and i haven't had anyone ever go back
1: yeah a lot to dive into there but um let's talk about something a little controversial from your perspective like you mentioned to me when we were chatting uh prior to the show that you're not a huge fan of caffeine because it's a stimulant and it is like as far as i understand the most widely consumed drug in the world because it is a drug right and um but then within the kind of like ketogenic, whatever biohacking world, if you want to call it that, Dave Asprey is kind of just like everyone knows about him, love him or hate him, like whatever. Um, that's personal preference. But this kind of main thing was making Bulletproof coffee. So using his brain octane oil, which is a C8 MCT with butter and then coffee, um, which has caffeine in it. And so caffeine is known to like, as far as I understand, it can actually help boost Uh, fat burning. And it's also thermogenic to a certain extent as well. So like, what are your your thoughts about that? I guess one on using caffeine, but then two, like, I don't know, kind of making quote unquote concoctions to, to increase the number of ketones in your body.
0: So, yeah, so I'm anti-caffeine. I know you can read all these papers that say, oh, caffeine makes you live or coffee makes you live longer, but I actually read the papers and the fine print it said, we determined that there was no distinction between decaf drinkers and caffeinated drinkers in our longevity analysis. So it's like, okay, well, what else is going on? Oh, they, they live in Greek islands and they have lower stress because they have a great sunset. Like other variables are going on. It's not it's not the caffeine. And people, when they see these caff- coffee studies, they justify their consumption of caffeinated coffee because you know the science says that it's healthy. I think it's a stimulant. So whatever goes up has to come down. So when are you gonna come down? now whether you crash or you know it messes up your sleep by 1%, 10%, 20%, you know who knows i love when people say oh caffeine doesn't affect me um so i was like well then why don't you drink decaf like if, it, if you really think that it does nothing for you just drink decaf cuz if heroin didn't affect you you wouldn't be like you know taking that every day just just cut it out and they're like oh yeah i hadn't really thought of that and they switched to de- decaf and before you know it they're having withdrawal symptoms that they didn't They didn't think it affected them until they removed it out of the system. But I just think that caffeine is a false sense of energy and focus. So you think that it gives you energy, but it doesn't really give you energy. It gives you, it blocks your sense of tiredness. So for example, people take it in the morning. Let's say you're going to do a five hour run starting at 12 o'clock. Why are you going to waste being not tired in the morning with caffeine? Because you're going to have the stimulant that's then going to crash during your run. Like, why do that? Maybe you can convince me to take the caffeine towards the end of the run or something like that to block your sense of tiredness. But why take it at 8 a.m. to go up to wake up? Who cares? Like, just not take it, not have that spike, not have that crash. Um, So it's a it's a fake energy. And as far as focus, people think that it gives them focus. Well, it's the same thing with a, a heroin or a cocaine addict. If, if you need your next fix, what are you doing? You're looking around for your fix and you're not doing your work because you're, you're constantly looking for your fix. And once you get your fix, you're like, oh, wait, now I can focus. No, the, the caffeine made you unfocused. It made you unfocused. So you're just correcting the problem that caffeine created. So if you actually got caffeine out of your system, it can take 40 days, like a good amount of time to get it out of your system. Then when you're thinking about having that, you know, caffeine hit for some important meeting or a podcast, you're like, wait a second. I'm sharp. I'm on right now. Like I I don't need it, but you have to have it completely out of your system. And for a while during COVID, there was a period of time where I was getting off of caffeine and I was like, Oh, I'll only use it selectively every two weeks and just, just bring it in every two weeks. And it was fine. But then I had a period where I didn't have any appointments for two months, got it out of my system. And then I had an appointment. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back to my caffeine. I'm like, wait a second. Why? Like there's nothing to, there's If if you're firing on all cylinders and you're in the zone, then you just don't need it. And some people say, "Oh, I don't drink coffee after noon because it affects my sleep." Okay, so you can quantifiably understand that after twelve o'clock, you can see that it messes up your sleep. You don't think at ten a.m. taking it, it might mess up your sleep. You just can't quantify it. Like it's a stimulant. It's going to mess up hormones. It's going to mess up a bunch of stuff. And you know, a lot of people like you know Dave Asprey. They're trying to sell a product. They want to sell a product that people feel, and everyone's already taking caffeine anyhow. So why is he going to push, you know, a decaf thing that doesn't get you riled up? And the C eight creates ketones, and then the ketones get multiplied by the caffeine. So you f- you feel you know, you think you're feeling the ketones more, but you're just feeling more delivery of the caffeine, which is more of a stimulant, which then leads to more of a crash. So yeah, I'm not a not a fan of. Of caffeine, I mean, there could be some exceptions during, during the race where you want to block tiredness, but um, get it out of your system so you don't start the day more tired in the first place. I think it's just a vicious cycle. It also stops working over time. There's a the tolerance effect. People are chasing that feeling that they had 30 years ago when they first had caffeine for the first two weeks. Like literally 30 years later, you're just still chasing that. Never does the quite the same thing. There's two other molecules I prefer. One's called t cream and dynamine that have a caffeine-like caffeine like sensation, but don't raise the heart rate. Also, the ketone, I mean, the, the caffeine raises your heart rate. Do you really want a a higher heart rate when you're running? No, I I don't think so. Um, But tea cream and dynamine don't have that uh, learned effect where they stop working over time and they don't raise your heart rate, but they do give you that focus sensation. And that's one of the drinks. The other drink that we have called snake water, where we have ketone ester plus a slow carbohydrate and 15 other ingredients. We include those two in there, um, but no caffeine. We didn't put caffeine in the drink, um, and there is some data that might come out showing that hey, when you take ketones and caffeine, your blood ketones go up, and people are going to interpret that as it's raising ketones, or you know maybe they'll interpret that as fat burning. But I think it's just um, it's might be blocking the ketone delivery into your system, so then the the numbers are going to be artificially high. So hopefully, there's a way scientifically to prove whether the total ketones have changed or not, or whether it's just changing, you know, the, the delivery mechanism and the delivery timing.
1: Yeah, kind of a, a side story here. So I went to Greece a couple of years ago. So I think it's funny you mentioned caffeine and Greece in the same kind of analogy there or whatever you want to call it. Cause when I was there, like, I didn't realize there were such heavy coffee drinkers. And, um, so I was there on a film production shoot and we had a, a fixer, like a, a local guy that was kind of, he spoke English really well and he works on film sets all the time. And, he um, was super cool. And we were chatting a lot. And like, we were driving back to the the, ho- the hotel one night, and it was like nine o'clock or whatever. And he's just drinking coffee. And he just drinks coffee the entire day. And I was like, dude, like, does that not affect your sleep? Because like, I kind of cut it out after like, you're saying noon or one or two, depending on what's going on. And he's like, no, man, he's like, we drink so much coffee here in Greece that like, it just doesn't affect our sleep. And I was just kind of like, okay, like, I, I know it does. But he was just so convinced that that it wouldn't. But I'm like, just the data show that it's gonna affect your sleep no matter what. And I'm not anti caffeine. Like I I see pros and cons. I'm trying to be like kind of neutral on the topic. But I just thought it was fascinating because there's no way I would drink coffee at like nine or ten o'clock at night and then go to bed. Like, just well, there are some people. Sense.
0: There are some people that are respond that respond differently, and actually uh, does calm them down. So some really? ADHD people that it brings their. it it stimulates them in a certain way that actually makes their brain be more calm because it has the right balance so some people do uh are able to take you know nightcaps of caffeine and and go to bed but um but yeah so yeah so one day we'll have a, a a decaf only drink that has ketones so people use ketones to help get off of their caffeine addiction help with the withdrawals And the detox of caffeine but one lady she called me up because my phone number's on the box It says hey only one in 200 people ever text me so go ahead and give me a call and she said hey this ketone ester didn't work for me i want to return i'm like okay we return stuff um but let's walk through what you did and she was saying it didn't do anything and then after half an hour i figured out that she used to take six to eight cups of coffee a day and then here she went straight to the ketone ester and took none she's like it did nothing I'm like, okay, well, what happens when you normally stop caffeine? Oh, I have irritable brain fog. And she like listed five things. Say, well, what happened when you t- took the ester and said, oh, nothing. I was like, nothing as in you still felt those side effects or nothing as in you didn't have those side effects. Oh, I didn't have those side effects, but I just didn't feel the ketones. I'm like, well, sorry, man, like tough crowd here. You had a, a stimulant, six of a stimulant, six cups of coffee. And all the ketone ester was able to do is block the, the, the side effects and bring you to baseline to be quote unquote nothing. So I was like, well, you can either add back in some of that ketone, uh, some of that caffeine just a little bit. And then so you can quote unquote feel it or continue using the ketone ester to, to get off of that caffeine after 30, 40 days. And then maybe you'll start seeing some benefit with the ketone ester because now you have a new, newly established baseline. Um, so it's just a, a, a cleaner energy source. Then caffeine. Caffeine's a stimulant. What goes up? And some people actually take ketone ester before bed, which you know freaks people out because they think of energy and they think of, you know, stimulant, uh, stimulant like like caffeine. But one third of our Amazon reviews are, oh my God, I went to bed. Normally I wake up three times to go to the bathroom, but I left my cell phone on my chest and I woke up eight hours later and the cell phone was still on my chest, hadn't moved. And my aura ring showed 30 minutes more deep sleep. It's like, so uh you can't do that with caffeine. It's just a more clean energy source for the body compared to caffeine or even compared to glucose with all that insulin spiking problems
1: yeah speaking of glucose then because i think a lot of people take caffeine like for like cognitive benefit or effects or whatever but um i hear a lot that okay the brain prefers glucose as fuel but also the people are like oh ketones is fuel blah 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 so like there's always like at least from like the research i've been doing which is a lot of just like youtube you find contradictory information on what the brain prefers. And I'm I'm always curious. I'm like, yeah, if you're on a high carb diet and your brain's just used to glucose, is that why it prefers glucose versus someone that's on a ketogenic and or zero carb diet where their body's either making glucose via gluconeogenesis or using ketones? So like, what are your thoughts on that? Like as far as brain fuel?
0: Yeah, so I think it's defining the word prefers. Like you really have to get into the nuance of it. I think the, the brain all else equal would rather have ketones and it will run more efficiently on ketones, kind of like a fire will run more efficiently with coal in it. But if you throw leaves on it, it's going to burn the leaves. So it might, you know, prefer that there's only ketones in the system. But if you if you drink some orange juice, the orange juice is going to cut in line and, and go to the brain. So does that mean that the, the brain prefers glucose because it cuts the line and takes it up first or You know, if the ketones make you smarter, the brain prefers making itself smarter. So it prefers, you know, ketones. So that's the nuance there. So I think having, um, there is one paper where they studied the brain and I think it was, uh, humans that were in their fifties to sixties and they compared a regular standard diet and then they compared the ketogenic diet and then they compared the regular standard diet with ketone ester. And the conclusion was that glucose destabilizes the neural network. The so glucose made them less sharp. And w- the trial that they need to do next is ketone ester with not ketogenic diet, but ketone ester with low carbs. So if they have, ke- they had ketone ester and the orange juice, they're kind of fighting against each other and they were still able to be better than just the orange juice you know, diet. Um, so yeah, I, I think that paper shows that the brain is sharper running on ketones, but does it quote unquote prefer it? You know, If you give it orange juice, the orange juice will come in and mess things up. And one important concept is the brain energy gap. So many people over the age of 30, their gap will start to rise, which means the brain is just not able to fully fuel itself by glucose. So even if you took more glucose, it's just saying, hey, we're only going to be fueled by 90%, 80%. People with brain fog might be 70%. Even if you take more glucose, it actually makes it worse. It actually makes that gap bigger. And um, it's kind of like a toll road going to the brain, fuel going to the brain. It's going through a toll road, and it's just being clogged up. Ketone ester bypasses that that clogged toll road, and it's just an HOV lane that goes straight to your brain and helps fill that brain energy gap. If your brain is already at 99% or 100%, and you take ketone ester for your brain, you probably won't notice a difference unless you do some mega doses. And we had a biohacker that did some mega doses and he saw 25% increase in some of the, some of these video game scores that took him two weeks to get a baseline. And then boom, 25% faster in the flow state. But that was unsustainable huge amounts of ketone ester. But these smaller amounts, it's not a stimulant. So it doesn't make your brain, you know, go to 110, 120, like caffeine proclaims to. Um, so I've given it sometimes to super healthy doctors and they take the ketone ester and they're like, ah, you know, I didn't really feel anything in my brain. I say, yeah, but your patients that have the brain fog, give it to them, have them walk into the office on an empty stomach and give them a shot. Within 15 minutes, they'll be like, what happened to like, the lights just turned up brighter. Like what's going on here. It's much more evident. So the bigger the gap, the more it works. And this also has to do with athletic performance towards the end of a race, your brain has a bigger glucose blockage. Your, your brain isn't getting fully fueled. So Anthony Kunkel, his strategy was, I said to him, hey, if you had a one shot to have an athlete, you know, only try it one time, what's the most reliable way to take it? He said, go for uh, one of the longest runs you've done or a long run. And the moment that your brain starts to falter, take the ketone ester then, and then boom, your brain comes back to feeling like the first mile of your of your run, and that's because the brain is just no longer able to fuel itself with uh with glucose so some people strategically only use the ketones you know towards the end of a race
1: yeah so thinking about that like just using ketones as fuel again like i know we're kind of jumping around a little bit um but like the ketogenic diet like it's been used like in the past 100 200 years as like a therapeutic for seizures and certain things which is really interesting to me because like so many things just be fixed by proper nutrition um, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, obviously I'm not a doctor, not recommending anything, whatever. But um, I've also heard that the ketogenic diet essentially is like mimicking um like survival mechanism or survival. I'm not explaining this very well. But like yeah. say, say, for example, like I don't know, a thousand years ago you are hunting and you couldn't eat for three or four days. Like, no, there weren't McDonald's, there weren't 7Elevens, there weren't Mavericks everywhere. I don't know if you guys have Wawa back east, wherever you are. Yeah. <laughs> um it's like we didn't have access to food like constantly. We weren't able to snack the entire day. So the body could go into a state of ketosis, but it's also considered like a survival mechanism um, from some people. So like, what are your, your thoughts about that, about using, like, a, like, is the ketogenic diet just purely like a survival mechanism or is it like a tool to say, enhance cognitive performance and or physical performance?
0: Well, I do think that thousand years ago, yeah, you you kill the woolly mammoth and you eat a whole bunch and then you don't have any food for another week. You have to be as sharp on day seven, as you were before, to be able to get the next animal. So yeah, it is an emergency fuel source. Now, today, you know, therapeutic wise, the ketogenic diet, I've been on a vegan ketogenic diet for now, four or five, maybe even six years. It's just the way that I prefer it. When I wasn't keto, I could not read my kids a bedtime story at 7pm. Like I would just be falling asleep and they'd be like nudging me. I couldn't get through the day without falling asleep. And when I've got ketones in the system, even a small amount, you know, maybe once every three months I'm falling asleep, you know, at 7 PM cause I got a bad night sleep. So for me, I stay in it. And some people like to s- cycle in and out of it. Uh, one cycling that I don't like, not that I don't like it. I just think that they're missing the point is they'll do the ketogenic diet during the week. And then on Saturday and Sunday, they'll then, you know, add more carbs in. They're like, Oh, I just, I just need it on Saturday and Sunday because it's just, you know, my body doesn't respond well to the ketogenic diet. So I I take carbs on the weekend. And I'm just like, they're I think they're missing the entire point of the ketogenic diet because it can take seven to ten days to get in. And there's gonna be a period of one to two days of the keto flu, which is, you know, the body has low glucose, but the ketones haven't gone up yet. So you have no, no fuel. That's half the problem. The other half of the problem is salt intake. So you have to take massive amounts of salt. My wife was doing a ketogenic diet for the first time and she said, Hey, I was on the you know, she's laying in bed, uh, headache, eyes bulging, heart racing. She's like, oh my God, you're killing me with all this biohacking stuff. What are you doing? I called some experts and they're like, give her 20 salt pills. I'm like 20, I'm going to overdose her. Like, it's okay. 15 minutes later, she's up and running. Uh, she was completely fine. So what happened there was when you enter into a ketogenic state, you lose a lot of water weight. So a lot of people love it for weight loss because they think they're losing weight, but it's just water. But with that water goes massive amounts of electrolytes. And people say, oh, I add more salt to my eggs. I said, did you unscrew the top? Because that's the amount of salt that I'm talking about. So they go through this keto flu stage and they give up right before it starts working. So right before their their ketone levels are starting to get into the, they say 0.5 on the blood meter, not not urine strips, the blood meter, you get to 0.5 and you're starting to get into ketosis, but they're in the, you know, 0.2, 0.3, maybe hitting 0.5, they refuel you're refilling that battery again and you're starting all over again. So I would encourage people to really, if you're going to do it, you know, try and really make sure that you're in it, testing the blood, not the urine. And you've got 0.5 to one millimolar waking up first thing in the morning. Try that for 30 days and see how it sits for you. Um, but I think the body can survive you know, forever in that state. You don't need glucose, need sugar. You can, um, you know, but, but but eating keto doesn't necessarily mean eating healthy. Well, it's not, you know, you can still find a way to eat at McDonald's and be eating keto and and not be healthy. So, um healthy eating is more important, but then I I think the carbs are just overrated. Everyone thinks that carbs are king because they've just been brainwashed for the last 50 years that you need carbs, need carbs. That we have, you know, some athletes that can go hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of miles either on no food or you know, without any, any carbs. So it can be done. We just have to, you know, perfect it. And all you need is a a few people to start winning some, you know, major races and being public about being ketogenic that everyone's going to be like, wait a second, you know, what, how, how is that possible? And i like to say, if, if, if carbs are king, then maybe the ketones are the emperor.
1: No, I like that. Uh, And it makes a lot of sense too. And I, I think like the best way to promote say like healthy eating stuff isn't just nearly necessarily tell people about it because you can tell people about it all day but they're still going to be like yeah well carbs 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 but like by actually proving and showing like say in a race environment you're going to just show people that it's possible and i've i've seen that a lot recently it's really cool to see like people are kind of at least a few people anyways that i i know are like shifting out of this dogma of like i gotta eat like all this crap every day to to run it's like no you don't have to and they're kind of seeing the results and it's cool to see i guess the change in some people even if it is slow those glucose
0: bars are not healthy like how can you brainwash yourself into thinking that 30 grams of like straight sugar is is a healthy thing maybe we should make shirts that say on the back of the shirts you know how those carbs treating you or (laughs) how's all that sugar treating you because you
1: know i just passed you Yeah. How's that GI distress at mile 50, of a hundred mile race? Cause it's another thing that we talk about a lot in the running world is just like gastric distress. Like that's one reason why I got into like eating the way I do now is because I was always having issues with it, whether I was on a run or whatever, or just everyday life and cleaning things up and fixing things has made a huge improvement. And I think a lot of people just get used to be like, oh, well, I'm going to have 90 to 120 grams of carbs an hour and I'm going to deal with the GI distress. And that's just part of running. It's like, it doesn't have to be that way and it's not and, like i never have issues but it's just you can minimize those issues a lot go ahead
0: and some people are trying to find ways to train their body to go up and they're bragging about like i was able to train my body to go to 150 higher higher i'm like okay you know that's that's one approach but maybe you have a more efficient steady state fuel source now the tour de france riders are very very tricky cuz they're not a steady state they're different than running they're not just a steady state one speed the entire time they do these bursts of 10 minute bursts, two minute bursts, or they, they break away from the, the main group, the main Peloton. And that's a much trickier, you know, cause you have to have a certain amount of glucose, you know, in your system for those you know explosions, but for them, you know, the ketone ester might make you change your race strategy. So your, your peak performance is going to be lower, but that means you've got to, you know, sustain, um, sustain, not peak performance, but sustain this 98% instead of going to hundred percent and just kicking differently, um, using a different cadence in your, in your cycling. So instead of faster pedals, you're using a different gear and slower pedals because the ketones and mitochondria. So it changes a lot of variables. It's not just like take this drink and, and go out on the course and see if it, it works better for you. Yeah, it can take a while. And Dr. Dog, we did an interview with this one guy who trains 20 Tour de France cyclists a year. And, you know, he talks about his preferred method is like a three to three to one ratio of carbs to ketones. And the biggest performance gain when he does a, a test is he'll do a five hour test. And a lot of people do a 10 minute, five minute, one minute explosion in the first couple hours. And then two hours later, the 10, five, one again. And that second 10, five, one is where they see the biggest gains. So it's almost as if they're recovering during the ride and they feel fresh. And their second 10 5 uh, 1. And, you know, we also also seen this with athletes that sometimes will run twice a day. So if you're a heavy miler runner and you're running once in the morning and runs it once a night, taking the ketone ester after the first run should be very noticeable your second run. And what does that do for building muscle? Everyone wants to do stuff on game day, but it's the training and the recovery that does everything. So if you can take it and allow you to, to do more two runs a day and what is that going to do for your total miles per week if that's your goal if your goal is to you know find a way to get in 150 200 miles um or 100 miles or even less you know that's one way to do it is run twice a day but you have to be recovered otherwise your central nervous system will just be you know shut down and it's just not fun
1: yeah i guess i would as far as like leading that back to running obviously like it seems like I don't know much about like how these um stage events work in like, I mean, cycling. I know there are like, rules and how things work and stuff, but like kind of bringing that over to running, like I, I do both for the record. Like I I love gravel biking. It's not the same thing as Tour de France by any means, but like just thinking of like multi day like running events that you're going the entire time, like say you're not stopping or even like these stage races we spoke about. It's like if yeah, if you're able just to recover really well, like you're you're gonna have better performances, and if you can kind of like recover intra race versus only post race, like for these two, three, four day events, maybe, or even like a, like a month long FKT type event. Like that's, that's drastically, that's going to change the game for a lot of people. I think if
0: you have a month long event and you're not using ketone esters, you're just, I mean, I'll give you your money back. Go ahead and and use the ketone ester and tell me that, that it didn't work. There's just no way. It's just a massive noticeable for recovery. Recovery is like the no brainer. Someone comes to me and they're like, you got one chance. I'm like, recovery. Uh, you have another chance I go for sleep. And then if they're invested because they saw the difference, then I give them the long explanation for pre-workout and during workout. But that's a lot trickier. But you mentioned gravel racing, that and mountain biking racing, your mind is used up, I, I think, more than than a road race because you have to really be tracking, tracking where you're, or, you know, when you're doing a mountain bike, you have to be able to look 10 feet ahead and be able to respond and your brain gets taxed. So we've had a lot of people in that sport use the ketone ester that it really helps them with like time dilation. It kind of slows things down. so You can see an extra or consume the information of, the, of an extra two to four yards ahead. Um, yeah. The brain is using up, I think a lot more energy in those types of uh, races.
1: Yeah, definitely. Cause you, yeah, it just makes sense, right? Like you can't just kind of zone out like road marathons. You can just zone out. Like I, I love to run roads sometimes. Cause it's like, I can just run, x and x pace for this many miles and not think about snakes or yep. tripping on this rock or whatever so you just kind of go which is it's fun in its own right and i get why people like road running in that regard um but let's talk a little bit about like cmpk and fasted workouts because i was listening to a video about using um ketones as far as recovery uh post-workout like doing a fasted workout and then waiting like taking some ketones and then waiting to take like a standard protein drink and i think most people like that i speak to anyways like the current like like literature says, consume protein within like 30, 45 minutes, like post-workout for maximum benefit. But then this fasted workouts with ketones at the end, and then waiting like two hours to take your standard protein drink. Yeah, it has data. And so what are your thoughts about that?
0: So I'm not very versed in that, but Dr. Dog, I think he was talking about both fasted rides, but also the rides when he does the three to one ratio, that he just has them fast for two hours after the workout that it does does these other things that are being uh 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 simulated. So I'm not very versed in that, but that's that's his protocol. I I don't know if that's necessarily an everyday thing either. I think that might be for a targeted workout that he wants to re- release these chemicals by having no food afterward, but just having the ketone ester for two hours. And yeah, you know, that's what he he swears by that. But I'm I'm not I'm not versed in the science and the papers on that. I've got we got ketone ester papers i think three of them came out like last week it's just ridiculous and having to absorb and understand you know the nuances of those it says i I see in an abstract that the ketone ester versus placebo does the placebo have carbs or not like how is that not in the abstract that's pretty important like um are you comparing ketones to sugar are you comparing ketones to nothing it's it's an important variable um
1: but I guess you could just pull a, a politician move and just say like, oh yeah, this is great. And not, never read the study nor the bill, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's, you know, some people will just stick with, with the the headlines and the titles of papers like the recent erythritol paper that's was bashing erythritol and people are throwing it out and they didn't actually read the paper. It had nothing to do with exogenous erythritol being added to your, you know, whatever food you're adding it to. It had to do with obese people that had excess erythritol in their system. It's just not the same thing. But the headlines, headline in CNN was, you know, I don't know if it was erythritol, but it said artificial sugars might be more harmful, you know, for you. And I'm just like, I would also want to read who funded that, like what Mars company or sugar-based company is, you know, funding something to to be like, hey, sugar's good. Come on, give me a break. Now, if you want to say that the artificial sweeteners, like, you know, saccharin and stuff like that. we want to go after those. Okay. But, you know, the quote unquote natural sweeteners, erythritol, stevia, monk fruit, you know, to try to say that those are better than sugar, I guess in certain instances, or not better than sugar, it's going to be hard to convince me. I, I think sugar and high glycemic carbs are the devil. I think that's the root of so many metabolic problems, so many diseases. I mean, I've even had people before buying the ketone ester. I'm like, well, what do you eat for breakfast? Oh, a bowl of, uh um, bowl of fruit and like and they have brain fog and i said well don't buy my stuff just don't eat that bowl of fruit it'll be that easy it's like oh well you know how long will i have to do that for when can i you know go back to the grapefruit i said well when you're ready to have brain fog again like it's just that direct and that instant and talk to them the next day and they're like i was like well how'd it go because they had eggs i'm vegan but you know they had eggs and oil it's like oh i didn't i didn't have any brain issues like okay and you would think that the next day that they would stop, but no, they just have denial. Like, okay, it must've been a coincidence. And then they go back to their, you know, their grapefruit that they love. Like, okay, I guess, guess your brain fog is not that bad or you have some, you know, addiction, which is a whole other thing.
1: Addiction to sugar. Yeah. That's funny. You talk about that because like all growing up, like I just always was told like, Oh, fat's bad, fat's bad, fat's bad. And it's so like, I grew up like in the era of like the snack wells cakes. It's like 0% yeah. fat, like, but they're super high sugar, and just full of like, who even knows what was in those? Like, I have no clue. But like, even to this day where I know that like fats are good for you, all well, the right types of fats anyways, sometimes I'm like eating a steak. I'm like, oh, like there's too much fat on this. And then I'm like, why did I just think that? But it's like, it's so ingrained oh, yeah. in my head. And then I'm like, oh, cholesterol is bad. I'm like, why, like, why am I thinking this? It's because it's just so drilled into us from like, since you were born. But then like, I, I know the differences obviously from like, when I was a kid, I would just like always go to the pantry and just like, Handfuls of of cereal and just like crackers and whatever, and kind of lived on that. And now I'm like, how did I do that? Because one, you spend your entire day eating, you feel like trash, and you're just stuck in this cycle of like always having to go back and eat more and more and more. And it, it's just kind of ridiculous. And you have like, say, a high fat breakfast, and it was like, say, eggs, avocado, and whatever. And you're like, oh, I, f- I feel good. Like your brain's functioning, everything feels good, and your inflammation's down. Or or no breakfast. You just
0: yeah. you just skip it. And some people use the ketone ester to help them skip breakfast. But then, you know, I talk to some people and they say, oh, well, I have no problem skipping breakfast, but I took the ketone ester first thing in the morning. I'm like, well, this won't help you skip two breakfasts. Like you're already skipping the breakfast. When do you get hungry? And the, oh, i get hungry at, you know, someone might say 11 or someone might say 1 p.m. Great. Then take it half an hour before getting hungry and extend your fast another three to four hours. But don't take it first thing in the morning. And then, you know, if you're not having problems skipping breakfast, why suppress an appetite that isn't, you know, doesn't need suppressing? Yeah. So well, the, thinking... there's definitely, definitely many different protocols. Some people take it first thing in the morning. Some people take it pre-workout. Some people only take the after post-workout. Some people take it just for their brain, um, and then some people take it for, for sleep. So just endless different ways to take it.
1: Yeah, thinking about fasting because, like I've read, I've heard contradictory things about taking exogenous ketones while fasting. And like, I know like some sort of ketone drinks will have calories in them, which could depend on the number, like kind of ruin your fast or whatever. So what are your thoughts on taking an exogenous ketone while fasting? Like, does that kind of screw up the fast or is it better just to take those small amount of calories and extend the fast for say 12 more hours or something?
0: So my thought is if you can already do a three hour fast easily, then don't add ketones. And if you're not having brain fog, you're not having an imbalance where your brain's not getting enough fuel then don't add ketones. But if you're doing a three-day fast and the first day is difficult, then yeah, sure, you can take, you know, half a capful, one capful every three or four hours to kind of suppress that hunger and then help you get into that day too. But you wake up the next day, your ketone baseline might already be, you know, 1.52. Adding more ketones won't do anything. And, and we have had people that are just super high baseline ketones. They, they're able to get their ketones up to three or four millimolars, whether fasting or, or ketogenic diet. And they want to take the ester and they're like, it doesn't do anything for me. I'm like, yeah, you're at three millimolars, sustain, taking more to jump up to five or six isn't going to do anything. It's, it's not going to do anything for you. So yeah, people will use the ester. If fasting is difficult and makes it easier, then sure. Um, but yeah, what's better than fasting is what's better than ketones for fasting is no ketones and just be, just be fasting. If, if you can do that easily. Now, if you're on day three and it's getting really hard, and I don't know, if your ketones are at seven, you can still take a small amount of ketones. It's not about getting your blood ketones up. It's just about suppressing hunger. So if after three days, you're getting really hungry, yeah, you could try slow releasing some ketones and see if that helps you pick up another day. Um, and then ultimately, I think some some military people that are doing multiple days, if their ketones are high enough and they're not having hunger pains and they're still mentally sharp, why would you take ketone ester? But if after two or three days you start slagging and it's just not enough the endogenous, then then maybe adding ketone ester at that time you know can help take you further.
1: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. But I'm thinking about like having really high blood ketone levels and versus actually utilizing all those ketones. Um, how should I, how do I phrase this question? I guess like what what could you take to maybe optimize the uptake of those ketones? Cause I've, I've heard and read that, like um, that niacin can help with that. um, Sodium bicarbonate, like just baking soda and then also taurine as well. Like, so are those good things to take in conjunction with the ketones? Say if you're looking for, or to uptake um, the number of ketones in your, your body.
0: Yeah. They one of one by one. So niacin is a potential thing that could help the transporters, um, but it might technically make your blood glucose, blood ketone numbers look lower. So don't think, oh, you know, I normally take this amount, and I'm normally at, you know, one millimolar, two millimolar. Take the niacin. If your numbers are lower, not necessarily a bad thing. You've increased the shuttling, um, the shuttling of the ketones out of your blood into your system. So that you know, I think niacin is a great thing. Um, I try to take enough that I feel I like actually the the morning. I like actually taking niacin for waking up in the morning as opposed to caffeine. I like that burn, sunburn, feel alive. Like that that's what I use to wake up and that's super cheap. That's like what? One cent, 10 cents a pill, you know, nothing. And I'm able to get my thresholds pretty high that, and I don't do the, any of the slow release niacin. It's gotta be the fast stuff that you have to start really, really low. Otherwise you're, you'll feel like a Puerto Rico sunburn. Um, but so niacin, so sodium bicarbonate, there's a lot of papers talking about sodium bicarbonate and ketones my answer to that is maybe but the reason behind that was when they did some testing on massive amounts of ketone ester it did drop the ph of the blood sum so then they said oh well maybe they're not finding a performance gain in some of these trials so some of the earlier trials 2% performance gain with the ketone ester don't believe other companies that sell just r 13 b 10 dial and claim ketones rate, you know give you a 2% gain it's a different molecule. It's very misleading. Um, but the, so the, the idea was this, that the sodium bicarbonate might help buffer your pH in your blood to bring it back up, but I'm not advocating for these huge doses. So if you're doing the low dose of the ketone ester, which doesn't change your blood pH, then sodium bicarbonate, I don't think is necessary with ketones. Now, if you find sodium bicarbonate works by itself for you, cause there's papers that it does that by itself, then great, then sure. But don't, Think that you need to add sodium bicarbonate to a low dose of ketone ester because the science proposed high dose ketone ester and sodium bicarbonate. There's just a disconnect. Um, but if it works for you, great. But I haven't really the feedback that I get from just users, I haven't had anyone be swearing by it, you know, before and after without with and without. Um what was the third oh, the taurine? So taurine is great because it actually keeps salt in your system. So you mentioned with the snake water we put in. Uh, sodium bicarbonate. We put in niacin and we put in taurine. That's part of the the all inclusive, you know, snake water. Um, taurine helps keep electrolytes in your system. So when you're on a ketogenic diet, you actually lose a lot of electrolytes. And some people, they're running and they take ketone ester, they find themselves urinating more. And that could be just the the lower blood sugar and the body's just releasing excess water that the glucose normally holds onto. So the taurine will help hold some of those electrolytes into the system. So yeah, I think taurine is great. We actually used to have taurine in the KE4, our main drink, as a default. Um, But we took it out because it was just too confusing marketing-wise. And people, you know, taurine, they think Red Bull, and they don't understand the nuance of it. And some of the clinical trials, you know, they wanted a more pure, let's isolate the variables and just have ketone ester. So then, you know, we took that out. But we do put uh, potassium citrate in there. Dr. Veach did talk about it in the Dave Astry podcast, which I recommend people watching, how uh, ketone ester can affect uric acid levels and adding potassium citrate, citrate to kind of help uh, balance that out. So we do put a little bit of potassium citrate in there. In the event that someone's taking megadoses, then when you add up those megadoses, it might add up to one pill of a potassium citrate pill.
1: The taurine thing to me is really interesting because... I, for a while I was getting these ads for this coffee company that somehow infused taurine into their coffee and their whole marketing thing was, well, if we're going to, we're going to increase fat burn via caffeine and taurine. And I actually, I got some of it for free and I was, I was trying, I was like, oh, it's interesting. Like it's not the greatest tasting coffee in the world and maybe it was placebo. And I only tried like a small little sample of it. I was like, oh, it's, it definitely gave me a kick, but I'm like, I don't know if that's just from like a mass amount of caffeine in it, or if it's from like the small, probably the minuscule amount of taurine and like it's so overpriced where i'm like there's no way i'm going to buy this all the time because it, it just doesn't make any sense financially but well, taurine is okay. cheap you can buy taurium you know powder very inexpensively yeah. it does have a fishy
0: type smell sometimes to it so you can add you can, you could try that again with your you know caffeine uh but L tyrosine is a great molecule to help people get off of caffeine it helps with the addiction and the withdrawals from caffeine so i would also consider if you go to decaf consider adding some tyrosine
1: interesting like let's um let's i guess get away from stimulants and talk about i don't know what the word would be downers maybe like alcohol for example um you mentioned in just at the start of the show that you guys make a like an alcoholic drink a hard ketone so like what was the inspiration for that i know you kind of alluded to it and spoke briefly about it but like like why would it be more beneficial to drink a hard ketone say via like a glass or two of wine at night
0: yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah, I'm anti-caffeine, but also anti-ethanol. So when uh, the inspiration came from Dr. Veach saying that the mice were stumbling and they threw it out for therapeutic uses. And I said, oh, I think some humans might want to be stumbling. So that's when I ran off and filed a patent for that. So the regular, people think that beer, vodka, wine are different molecules. Like they're different different types of alcohol. alcohol. But what they don't, many people don't realize- is if you distilled all of them down to moonshine, white or clear liquid, it's all ethanol. Ethanol, two hundred proof ethanol means one hundred percent ethanol. You know, um, so all alcohol that's ever been consumed for the last two thousand years is ethanol. Um, and then the the umbrella category of alcohol includes ethanol, but then there's propyl alcohol. You know, there's different types of rubbing alcohol, hand sanitizer alcohol. There's different alcohols. But the only one that was ever consumed previously was ethanol. Ethanol converts in the liver to acetylaldehyde. That fancy word, that's the one that is the toxin. That's the one that really messes people up. That's the one that makes Asians flush you know, red in the face. This r 13 dial is kind of like Star Trek invented something called synthahol in some of the movies 20, 30 years ago. And they say, oh, it's it has some of the intoxicating effects, but not the... The downside of you know ethanol, um, so if we invented something like synthahol that converted the molecule to something neutral like water instead of acetylaldehyde and still give you a buzz, that'd be like cover of Time magazine. This is better than that. This is r 13 diol that converts in the liver to beta-hydroxybutyrate, to ketone. So even better than water. So it doesn't make acetylaldehyde, which is the toxin that really messes you up, Um, that's one that makes you feel horrible the next day. It makes you, your, yeah, your heart rate variability mess up. Um, people say that it's not part of the, the addiction is not necessarily acetylaldehyde, So I, I was corrected on that. Um, but this actually makes D beta hydroxybutyrate. Now I would wish that you could take this less expensive drink and then use it and go for a run and feel euphoric, but it just doesn't do that. It gives more of a Xanax, uh, cannabis relaxation feeling. Um, different than kava. Some people have tried to explain kava. Kava tends to make people sleepy while this makes you attentive, but still relaxed. So it's like this weird, um, you can still be energetic, but relaxed. So your eyes are more open, but you're you're relaxed. Um, and so, yeah, I've been wanting to do that for three or four years to launch that product. But the ketone Usher, we were still trying to scale it up, not be able to make enough. We were sold out multiple times teams would buy $150,000 worth and just blow out our inventory for all of our customers for like, you know, uh, for a couple of months. So we were just constantly having to uh, focus on scaling that up while I had this shiny red apple syndrome, which is, well, what about this? mall? You know, what about this drink? Wouldn't this be fun? And, you know, finally pulled the trigger about a year ago and and made, you know, the hard ketones. So we put uh, 4% of what we call, it's R13 B10 dial, but we call it keto halt. like a keto alcohol. And, uh, initially we called it ethanol free alcohol, but then that really confused the hell out of people. So then we changed it to non-alcoholic because the FDA considers ethanol alcohol. And most consumers, you say alcohol and they think, or they, if you say ethanol free alcohol, they just don't understand that. And they think, Oh, I don't want to drink alcohol because the next day, I'm I I wake up horribly or or the different side effects. These don't have that same side effects. So now we call it an alcohol, uh, we call it non-alcoholic with ketohol, this you know new form of, of molecule. And we found that it really helps people also get off of their ethanol addictions. So it helps with withdrawal symptoms. Um, and there's tons of non-alcoholic drinks out there, but they all miss that one element of a little bit of a buzz. Now, I have seen some non-alcoholic al- alcoholic drinks that just load in the caffeine. So they give you another stimulant and just hope that you'll You'll be able to, you know, uh, replace one with the other. But um, yeah, it's so it's non-alcoholic, but still giving you that a similar buzz, not exactly the same, but a similar buzz. But it's also self, we find it to be self-limiting. It's so a regular beer, you drink one and you just crave another one, another one, kind of like a bag of chips. You have one chip and you just want more and more. And then before you know it, you're taking, you know, too much. This stuff, you take one or two, and they people just say i just felt full we sometimes say you can even help you know skip dinner and skip the drunchies when you're drunk munchies um and you know they just feel content after one or two and they're not as inclined to drink six or seven we even had one lady who was drinking a bottle of wine um, every day she was able to switch to two cans of our stuff and 18 months later she hasn't had a sip of wine she just went straight cold turkey with no issues she even stopped the hard ketones for a couple of months and I called her up. I'm like, Hey, how's it going? She's like, Oh, I stopped ordering it. I'm like, Oh no. Did you go back to wine? She's like, no, I'm sorry. Just, just went back to water. I said, why are you sorry? Like that? That's a great thing. You went from one thing, highly addicted to our stuff. And then you just, eh, I forgot to order and just went to water. Now the summertime came and she wanted to bring six packs. Um, and you know, she started back up again, but it just was nothing like her regular wine cravings that she had She had these visceral urges that she didn't even notice until she had the hard ketones that she just wanted to grab that bottle opener and just hear that sensation of the bottle opening like that. She said it felt like a Star Trek scan of someone just scanning her body and just that desire was gone. So we've even had people that were six months, 12 months recovering alcoholic. They drank half of a can, felt a little bit of a buzz, put it back in the fridge and forgot that they had taken it. And usually people don't feel half of a can, but she did. She said, Frank, if that was a six pack of beer and I had two sips of it, I would have drank the entire six pack and woken up the next day driving to the you know the next place that can get me another another beer. But mm-hmm. yours didn't do that. I, I woke up and I forgot that I'd had half a can and I had a better night's sleep. So that that, that drink is very exciting, very neat, very unique. We currently have a a pina colada and the ginger mule, the ginger mules sold out now, but it might be, uh, back when you, um, when you're, when this airs and then we're working on this, we had a champagne before, but now we're reformulating the champagne, but our Holy grail is a beer. So having a beer that that is, uh, no ethanol alcohol, no, um, no sugar, hopefully super low carb, but also gluten-free with the keto hole in it. So you can have a beer, that tastes yummy and get a little bit of a, of a buzz, but make sure you don't, you don't drive on it. We do say in the can, you know, don't, don't be driving with this because you can still get a, you know, be pulled over for being intoxicated.
1: So then in theory, you're not going to have like the hangover effect the next day, right? Is that right? So people compared to water, if they have
0: one can, they actually experience better sleep, like their aura ring, you know, they're showing better sleep. You go to two to three cans, then it's neutral. If you go above that, which we recommend, you know, sticking to three, we have had people feel a little bit of a headache in the morning, which usually goes away with water. But if you compare that to three or four cans of a you know, regular alcohol, sure. Yeah. It's night and day difference. we even have on our Instagram, someone said, Hey, I took two shots of some sweetest drink. His recovery score was 35. He took two drinks of ours and his recovery score was 78. Now, if he had taken nothing, you know, he might've been in the eighties, but drastic drastic difference versus regular ethanol so even people that say oh i don't drink I'm like yeah i don't drink either i don't drink ethanol this is you know this is completely different it's very confusing you have to take a deep dive and you know research the science um but it's a it's a very exciting neat new molecule
1: it is really interesting because like i don't drink either but yeah
0: it's
1: like in the and i don't know i'm assuming in the cycling world it's the same as the ultra running world where everybody finishes a race and has a beer or something similar to that and you can have and that's an alternative. why I made,
0: yeah that's why I made the champagne just for the Tour de France team so we used to not we used to not um sponsor any athlete our slogan was we don't sponsor athletes we get athletes sponsored and no claims just results because if we give you the list of all the things that it did you're not going to believe us until you take a deep dive um but they were drinking champagnes this Tour de France teams were like quick step is the team that we sponsored um they were drinking the champagne after they'd win a stage race I was like oh it's so bad for them it's like yeah, but sometimes you have to balance. The doctors say sometimes you have to balance allowing them to you know celebrate even though it hurts recovery. It's like no, no, I'll make you something. I'll make a champagne that's made with you know keto instead of regular alcohol. So I made that just for them. The first version was okay. Like if you took a, some people said that they loved it better than champagne, but I was like, it wasn't better than champagne. It was just champagne flavoring and water, but it just wasn't. It was like a hint of champagne. So, so if you're Standards are really low. Hint of champagne, it was fine. The new version that we're going to make is actually made with, um, with you know white wine, actual dealkalized wine. So we hope that it'll taste you know much more like sparkling wine. Yeah, that'd
1: be interesting to try. Um, yeah, I guess we've um, been going for a fair amount of time now. Um, that was really fascinating. But um, where can people find you, your brand, and and purchase your products and stuff and or just find out more information about exogenous ketones because it is really interesting.
0: So ketoneid.com, uh, and also hardketones.com will route to the individual sub page within ketoneade.com. And then our Instagram account where we post different, you know, Remco, the leader of the Giro down in ketone ester after each one of his races, and the press were like, He's drinking this controversial controversial drink. Um so we have Instagram uh, is where we have a, a lot of our stuff. And by the way, there is one group, the MPCC it's a cycling group that actually has banned ketones. Um, but the reason for banning it is pretty silly. They say right. it doesn't work. It's really expensive. And you know, so they're recommending that their riders not take ketone ester. And it's just like, it doesn't work. And then they they also say that it might be an unfair advantage but you don't ban beet juice because it's an unfair advantage you only ban things that might be unhealthy and this is actually i would argue much healthier than sugar as far as what it does you know to the system and helping it recover so what are they going to do ban sugar cuz sugar is a you know performance enhancing you know product um and half the teams in the MPCC still use our product even though you know, the, you know a few people decided that they thought that it was uh, something that shouldn't be
1: allowed yeah i I find that interesting because i don't know it's like anything could be performance enhancing or a detriment to performance right like food in general it's like you could be like well yeah yeah, eating calories that's performance enhancing enhancing versus being in starvation mode or i don't know like you're saying beetroots or some type type of mushrooms or whatever like all these different things or or lactic acid buffer or whatever like so it's just kind of interesting
0: yeah well Um, i think i I would give that even a meal. So this, this soccer protocol this one, uh, clinical, uh, trial person runs a clinical trial. They did the ketone ester in a fed state and simulated some soccer type performance. I said, well, why do you have to feed them beforehand? It's like, oh, because every single athlete, always every single soccer athlete and many others always eat a meal beforehand. So we have to try the ketones, you know, in that scenario. I'm like, yeah, but how do we know that the meal is helping them? Like, so we're questioning the foundation of all of their science. It's like, well, you we have to have a meal. I'm like, well, is that meal turning into energy fast enough in two hours? Probably not. It's probably just giving them a sensation of not being hungry. So, so soon enough, the, the clinical trials will come out, hopefully showing that maybe we were wrong about, you know, always having to have, you know, a meal before a workout. Your body's processing and spending energy of your body to break down that meal what if that was actually used in your legs to run faster? You know th- that energy to to break down that food. So uh, I think a lot of things will be changing, but it can take it can take twenty thirty years for all these answers to get you know flushed out.
1: Yeah, I think it, it takes time for things to change, right? Just with any sort of science or physical performance, it just takes time, but yeah. eventually it happens. So, uh, yeah. well, cool, Frank. Let's wrap this one up. I actually have to go for a run now. It's getting I guess it's only one o'clock here, but uh, I'm a morning runner. So this is late for me. All right. <laughs> it was well, good chatting you with much. you. Yeah, and I'm Thanks excited much. to try the product and um, kind of compare it to some of the others that I've tried recently.
0: Yeah, just don't be fooled by all that marketing and, you know, backed by science claims. It's just a bunch of, bunch of hogwash. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll see what happens. All um, right. All right. And, all right, and um, yeah, talk soon. Thanks. Bye-bye.